Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. What makes a person a thinker? That is the question that I would like to talk about today. The typical direction one might go with such a question is to start thinking about intellectuals, which I don't think are exactly the same thing. You might think about a great mathematician, or you might think about a great scientist. You might think about a great philosopher or a metaphysician, right? And that kind of a person perhaps could be considered an expert. Perhaps, yes, could be called an intellectual. And they obviously, yes, do a great deal of thinking, and that is not without its merits, not without its rewards, not without its good, to some extent. But that alone isn't very much, if you think about it. Yes, they think a lot, goody. Um, What does that do? Are there any goods or products or improvements that are made because this person thinks a lot. Maybe they have a degree, maybe they, again, are an expert in a particular field. That's fine and all. What are the effects? Well, some of them do have effects. You could take the great mathematician. Perhaps as a result of their work, or even through their work, they improve on certain devices and even scientific instruments. And uh, there are breakthroughs in precision for example. Does that make this person a thinker, though? I, I wouldn't say so. They may be an innovator, perhaps. They may even be an inventor. But I don't think it really advances things. You could take, for example, the philosopher. The philosopher may improve the way we think about people, the way we think about how people think, or how people... Uh, why it is that people celebrate religion or practice religion in particular ways. And maybe they try to increase the way in which we think about morality in general, um, or more, maybe more philosophical, or sorry, metaphysical thoughts such as, I think, therefore I am. Uh, you can't get an ought from an is. That's Kant, if I remember rightly. Uh, does that mean that such a person is a thinker? I, again, don't think so. Again, that may bring them into the realm of an innovator. Uh, They may be a groundbreaker, as we sometimes refer to such people. Does that make him a thinker? I personally do not believe so. I don't think so, to uh, bring in the pun. In order to answer the question, we have to go way further back. What does it mean to wield thought well. What does it mean to think in a good or healthy or beneficial way? What is the point of thinking? That is the real question. Why do we think? What is the original source of thinking? See, the problem when we start bringing in all these abstract ideas, most, unfortunately, modern philosophy and even some theology, is very abstract. Even the great theologian of today is not necessarily a thinker in this sense, but I'm getting ahead of myself. 
What is the purpose of thought? Why do human beings think? According to some, and one in particular who I respect greatly, thinking is what sets human beings apart from other species on the entire planet. And it's not just the thinking, I need to be precise. It's the fact that human beings are the only beings, the only mammals, that will compare ideal standards, or sorry, proposed actions to ideal standards. That is to say that human beings are the only beings that think in a moral sense. We compare what we do with an ideal standard in general. Dogs don't do that. Cats don't do that. Dolphins don't do that. Beavers don't do that. They're running off a set of instincts, and they do certainly have some ideas of thought. They have some concept, for example, of um, object permanence. You roll a ball underneath a couch, the dog or cat, as the case may be, will have at least some sense that the ball is still down there. It's still underneath. But that's a great deal far away from comparing proposed actions to ideal standards. But anyways, I'm not meaning to bring in an entire argument on that point. I want to try to plot ahead. Human beings are thinking, but in particular our ways of thinking are unique on the planet as a whole. And maybe even in the universe, but we don't have the evidence to know such a thing. So, again, what is the point of thinking? Why do human beings think? You could try to take it down to very much uh, more primitive things, such as the idea of creating a fire, if you want to go back to the caveman days, or something akin to that. Or you could talk about uh, instinct, the way that thinking feeds into that, or emotion, or the somewhat more abstract ideas as object permanence. You might start thinking about things such as uh, love and the fact that our minds do, do have a part to play in relationships, particularly in such areas as object permanence. It's not really going to do us much good to fall in love with an individual if we forget the fact that an individual is always the same person. They may change, but they are the same person. But I don't think that any of these are really what it means to, uh, sorry, what it is to think and what is the point and purpose and benefit of thought. What is it, in addition to comparing proposed actions to ideal standards, that human beings have done that nothing else on the face of the earth has done? Well, I think it starts to stand out pretty obviously. We have developed what we call civilization. Why have we developed civilization? Well, in my opinion, because we think. What is civilization? This is something that G.K. Chesterton brought up a couple of times, and he had a very interesting take. He didn't try to argue what civilization is. He argued the point that in order to answer the question, what is civilization, as I just mentioned, you would find yourself having to point to all kinds of various and strange and some seemingly disconnected things. You would say, for example, that we have standards of ethics and we have traffic lights, and we have vehicles, and we have the internet, and so on and so forth. We have windows. Civilization is a mixture of so many different things that have come as the result, originally, of human thought. We have developed the idea of architecture. 
We have developed mathematics. We have developed science, computing. We've developed philosophy. We've developed metaphysics. We've developed our very idea, our image, of both what the universe as a whole is and what a single molecule is. From the largest thing we have at least so far been able to conceive of to the smallest thing that so far we've been able to conceive of. And of course, when I talk about the molecule, I'm including the smallest thing we know of, the quarks. Anyways, the point is that we have developed civilization and no other being on the face of the planet has done anything even remotely like that. Now, you might begin to protest by talking about such things as groups of monkeys that have a sort of hierarchy, or even wolves have something similar, at least it would appear, but there's been some research that seems to contradict that. But that's besides the point. You could even bring up ants for a similar reason. You could bring up birds who build nests, and beavers who build dams. The point is not that we build at all, it's that all of these things that animals have done, they have always done, as far as we know. You might argue the point of evolution, and I don't particularly believe in macroevolution, but I'm also not afraid of it, as many Christians are. Like, or yeah, many of my fellow Christians are. Anyway, but whatever the case, the beaver, as long as it has been a beaver that we understand a beaver to be, it has built dams in a particular way, and it has never done anything else. It has never developed beyond that point. Apes have a certain civilization, or at least a social hierarchical structure, but they have never advanced beyond that point. If they do indeed evolve, then we could argue that perhaps their systems would evolve with that, but it's never occurred, at least by our um, observation, in our observation. No species on the face of the earth has advanced civilization, or sorry, has an evolved civilization, or evolved structures, or anything like that. They do not have evolved social structures. We do. Now, why do human beings have these evolved civilizations, so, uh, social structures, architecture, and so on? Why do we do these things in the first place? Do we just think it's fun? Is it a sandbox? Do we want to ambitiously seek to solve social issues? Some people would argue that we do. But they're coming from a Judeo-Christian background, typically in the West, that insists on the idea that we uphold the dignity of human beings. That comes from Judeo-Christianity, originally. It does not come throughout history. We've thought of human beings as, well, if you're going with the atheists, nothing but mere animals. Or if you're talking about, if you're going to bring up paganism, uh, pretty much just the subjects of the gods and not really particularly dignified in ourselves. The gods are dignified, but not really us. The Judeo-Christian point of view, even though it has been largely abandoned, even guides some of the, quote, values of the woke. The reason why we advance civilization is not really any particularly held value. It's not any inborn instinct, in my opinion. It is because human beings face problems and we solve those problems.
In my opinion, the best thinkers are the ones who managed to solve the problems. It is not simply because they have some sort of expertise, and through that expertise they make an innovation. It's because they may have been experts going towards the more modern times, but the point is that they found a problem and they solved the problem. Now, what sort of problem is the most pivotal and most meaningful human problem? If you're talking about a mere issue of, say, the stability of certain kinds of cements, that is an issue within architecture, and you may help people, including perhaps yourself, by solving such a problem if you innovate, but you're not necessarily solving the most common and most difficult issues that human beings face in our everyday lives. Again, if you're solving something in metaphysics, you might help with our perspective on, be, on um, existence in general and perhaps the universe as a whole. But it's not something that your average everyday Joe or Jolene, so to speak, is going to be really concerned about and really care about. It's not something that is going to solve their everyday issues. I would say that this is getting much closer to what it means to be a thinker in the, true, in the truest and best sense of the word, but it's not quite there yet. The kinds of problems that human beings have always had to solve and still have to solve even to this day are personal issues of relationship and daily life. What does it take to be healthy? What does it take to be strong? What does it take to be courageous? What does it take to really love? What does it take to have healthy interrelationships with our peers? How do we not just do it, but do it well? How do we innovate, so to speak? How do we succeed in the most common, most everyday issues that every person, every human being has always faced throughout all of history? The person who can do that, in my opinion, is the thinker. They can gain that knowledge and spread that knowledge. They not only help themselves, but they help others. And this goes into another important point. If you can help other people, so to speak, but you don't help yourself, are you really helping other people? In this area in particular, I would argue not so. You can do that perhaps when it comes to architecture or philosophy, uh, in in a more generic philosophical sense. Probably more applicable would be theology or metaphysics. You can help other people without helping yourself, but if you're, tr- if you're talking about the common everyday average issues that we all deal with, you can't help other people and not help yourself. Why? Because in order to really help other people, you have to have the right information yourself. How do you have the right information yourself if you don't apply it in your own life? In other words, if your thinking has not benefited you in the area of the most common everyday issues, are you really going to give the right information to another person? In my opinion, that is impossible. Why? Because we all must justify ourselves. This comes from my own premise that human beings do not first wish to be happy, we wish wish most to be justified. So if we are in practice not living quite right, 
we do not wish to out ourselves by admitting that we're not following wisdom. We all uh, have an innate desire to justify our own positions with the instruction we give another, if we're going to give advice, especially if it has to do with a moral issue, which is the shorthand for the average or for the everyday common universal issues that we all face, regardless of culture, regardless of time, regardless of our place in history in general. The moral issues, again, if we are not applying them rightly in our own lives, then we are going to justify ourselves by giving the advice to others that are going to lead them exactly in the same direction that we have followed. Because we want to believe that the direction we have taken, of course, is the right one. So what I'm saying is that in order to be a good thinker, the first, most primary, most important thing that you must be getting right is your own life. You cannot be a truly successful thinker without that, because that is the entire and most basic point, most basic reason why thinking exists. I, as a Christian, would argue it is the most primary, most essential thing that God, God has called us to and given us thinking by which we can pursue it. And not just thinking, but even when it comes to things like instincts and emotions, a lot of that has to do, a lot of our success in that has to do with whether or not we ponder it. Whether or not we are self-aware and consider our own actions and how we respond to instinct and emotion. We have to think about it. And the reason why so many people suck at thinking is not because they don't have the tools, it's because they are too encumbered by their own fears, their own abuses, their own traumas, and they don't engage the thought because it hurts, because it brings back up old issues. Let's approach this a different way. When it comes down to when you are about to make a decision, or to be more precise, when you have made a decision to take a particular action, as far as I understand it, you have about one-eighth of one second to make a different choice. To change your mind in the moment. Now, in my opinion, the vast majority of people, or at least most people, don't take advantage of that one-eighth of a second. Why am I going into this? Because this, to me, is one of the most poignant areas of our lives where whether we think or whether we don't think makes the most difference. See, the vast majority of people, or again, at least most people, when they are making a decision, do they doubt themselves? Are they self-critical or self-aware at all? If you have somebody who's narcissistic, selfish, self-justifying, highly or not just highly emotional, but makes emotional decisions without any consideration for other options, etc., etc., do any of those kinds of people take advantage of a one-eighth of one second opportunity to change their minds? Do they have any self-criticism or self-doubt? You hear the words self-criticism and self-doubt, and you might think that these are negative things. 
Now, if you're talking about a complex, somebody who is constantly questioning themselves, not just in an, in an instant, in a moment, in one-eighth of one second, but in general, they're lacking confidence, lacking any self-assurance whatsoever, yes, I would say that that is a problem. However, if you're talking about the moment of a decision or something that you're considering that is rather rash or emotional or impulsive, how important is it then to have some self-critique and some self-doubt, to be self-aware? In my opinion, it is of absolutely vital importance. Now, I'm not talking about paralysis. I'm not talking about the sort of person who is about to make a decision but then simply stops. I'm talking about the mere capacity to consider what you're doing as you're about to do it. Do you consider, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm about to make a big mistake? Do you have the capacity to question yourself? Or to put it another way, do you have the humility to consider that you might not be making the best decision? It is arrogance, it is selfishness, it is, in my opinion, a lack of thinking that leads us to simply make the choices and not consider any alternatives. To simply plod forward and assume that we're making the right decision, again going back to the self-justification point. Thinking that we're making the right decision no matter what, whatever it might be based on, instinct, impulse, emotion reaction, doesn't matter. If you are thinking you have the capacity, as I have been arguing this low these few last few minutes, to do something different, to change your actions. If you are not thinking, in my opinion, you're just going to keep plodding forward. That one-eighth of one second in the moment, in my opinion, is only taking advantage of, taken advantage of, by those who think. So the way I would put it is in a sort of parallel to the scriptures that Paul wrote in the epistles, when he talked about the fact that I could speak with the voice of angels, I could give everything that I owe, I could act charitably to everybody I come across. I could praise the Lord all my days. And I know I'm not exactly quoting him, but I'm kind of getting to the crux of what he said. I could do all these wonderful things. And if I do not have love, I am but a sounding gong. More like an aggravation or an annoyance than a real good person. You could look up these scriptures yourself. The sounding gong would probably be the best exact quote to look up the epistle itself and what Paul wrote there. But his main point is that if I do not love, if I do not have love within me and share it, no matter how much good and charity I do in the world, it is as nothing. It's practically just an aggravation and an annoyance to people. It causes vexation rather than actual life change and the giving of good to other people. To me, Paul's words there are the most scathing indictment against much of the modern Christian church. 
some of the best indictments that are in these in the scriptures in general. At least, again, applied to modern day. So my answer to the original question is, what makes a real thinker or a good thinker, an ideal thinker, is something of the same kind. It doesn't matter to me if you are an expert, if you're a skilled intellectual, if you do a lot of quote-unquote thinking, if you're an innovator, if you are an inventor, all of these things do involve the basic tool of thought. But they don't manage to do the main thing that thinking is there for. The fact that we have developed civilization to such a large degree, I think, is part of the reason why we've forgotten this basic fact or this basic truth, what thinking itself was originally for. It gives us enough flack, enough distraction, enough complication and abstraction that we seem to think that we can just ignore the basics and be just fine because we figured out how to build fancy cathedrals and uh, have air conditioning and refrigeration because we have the internet and we have all this information. All the information in the world, all the thinking, all of the studying and reading and so on that we could possibly do does not lead up to actually solving your everyday issues, actually succeeding in your relationships and so on, actually living in a moral fashion. If it doesn't do any of those things, in my opinion, it's practically useless. Yeah, it's great that we have surplus food, that we have antibiotics, that we have showers and bathtubs. These things are fantastic, and I wouldn't want not want to have them. But everybody who did these things, if they were not succeeding in their own personal lives, I would not call them good thinkers. Inventors and innovators and that sort of thing, sure. Intellectuals, perhaps. But not good thinkers. Because they're not using their thinker to do what the thinker is there to do. We are to solve the most basic and common and universal problems. That's what thinking is designed for, in my opinion. So... That's all I had for us today. I hope, as always, it gave you a, gave you a lot to think about. Until next time.